Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome into the Thursday, May the 16th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins' best moment of 2018 has changed for me. And I'll tell you why. That's more clear than ever. We'll discuss the disaster going on in our biggest rival's backyard, some linebacker news, and the Twitter mailbag has been moved up by a day. We'll jump into that. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingful NFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter, and the show at Locked On Fins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have part two of the Josh Rosen Project coming out on Sunday night, as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And a quick note here, just really fast on the podcast. Every single podcast I've heard has discussed the Game of Thrones episode from last week or the season of Game of Thrones as a whole on their podcast. I'm going to have to let you guys know right now, I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. I've watched a little bit of a few episodes. It's just not for me. It's not my genre. I do love television and movies probably as much as anybody, but it's not for me. So if you're looking for Game of Thrones talk, this is not the podcast for you. It is your podcast, though, for Miami Dolphins football. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins And I made a comment on the podcast yesterday that I did not know what TNT stood for. And I knew right when I published that, once it became available via the beat writers or via some tweets later on in the evening, that I was going to get corrections on Twitter. And you guys did not fail in doing that. Everyone let me know. It stands for takes no talent. This new mentality, the new stronger together, if you will, of Joe Philbin, whatever you want to call it, that's going to be the moniker this Dolphins team is built on. And basically the entire foundation of the program is going to be built on. We don't have to be a talented team to play clean football. And that's where the big discrepancy is in terms of these tight games typically comes down to in the NFL. And I've talked about the fact that the talent discrepancy in the NFL is so tight that the coaching and the little things tend to have the biggest impact on the outcomes of those games. So if Miami feels like they can get better at conditioning, if they can get better at penalties and committing fewer penalties and just making fewer mental mistakes, that's going to be the foundation this football team is built on. That's Brian Flores's mark. And we could look back on this in a couple of years and say, well, it was tedious and kind of junior varsity, so to speak, or we can look back on it and say that was the day the organization really turned around from a football standpoint. So TNT takes no talent. That's going to be something you're going to hear about a lot over the course of the offseason. Other news, the Dolphins are meeting with Connor Barwin, the free agent linebacker who's been just about everywhere, it seems, at this point. He's been on four teams so far in his NFL career. He's 33 years old. Houston, Philadelphia, Los Angeles Rams, and New York Giants as re- recently as last year, where he was a part time player. He hasn't had any injury problems since he did early on in his career when he missed all of 2010. He played 16 consecutive games for six years in a row with the Eagles, 
went to the Rams, played 14 games, and he played 15 games last year with the Giants, but he has been reduced to a part-time player, a guy that probably will come in here and give you, like we talk about on this defense, a lot of guys are going to play a small amount of snaps in that 30, 40, 50% snap taking range. That's right about where Barwin would fall most likely. So he is en route to Miami to meet with the Dolphins. As we talked about Nick Perry a few weeks ago, his contract status or his offer status remains up in the air. It's clear the Dolphins, though, want to add a linebacker to this roster and get a little bit more pass rush via Connor Barwin, Nick Perry, some veteran, whoever it might be. Who it's not going to be is Jamie Collins, who it sounds like he's about to sign with the New England Patriots. And I thought that was interesting because of the setup in terms of Bill Belichick being there, Brian Flores being here, and Jamie Collins having played for both of those teams, or both those coaches rather, getting shipped off by the one team, the Patriots, those two coaches worked for. And maybe Jamie Collins isn't the malcontent he's been painted out to be as he was known for freelancing or just not getting along with the coaches. I did speak to a Patriots fan buddy of mine on Twitter who mentioned that Jamie Collins is not the kind of guy you want to bring in to install a culture. He's the kind of guy that fits into a culture, one that's already established. So that would make some sense there from the Patriots-Dolphins dynamic. But I think it was worth mentioning because he's a guy that a lot of Dolphins fans have been in on in terms of a free agent signing, including myself. And so that is the minimal news for this Thursday podcast. The Dolphins did not practice on Wednesday, but they are back on the field today. And we'll have updates for you guys on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as tomorrow's Friday podcast. Let's go ahead and shift gears here, though, because I wanted to talk about that stuff first. Even though it was burying the lead because the most interesting topic we need to cover on today's podcast is Adam Gaze and the New York Jets. And I know this is not the Locked On Jets podcast, but I find this very relevant. And I even wrote about it up on LockedOnDolphins.com because I think we, as Dolphins fans, are actually pretty fortunate to not still be under the Adam Gaze spell, under the Adam Gaze wing. And before we get into the disaster, that is the New York Jets. Let's look over the column up on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's titled, The Best Thing That Happened to the Miami Dolphins in 2019, a commentary piece. My argument is a strong opinion backed by evidence, that's what commentary is, is that Ryan Tannehill's pick six in that Jacksonville game last year in week 16, the one that effectively ended the Dolphins' season, was the best thing that happened to this team last year. Yeah, the Miami miracle was phenomenal and a moment that none of us are ever going to forget. Yes, the high five had us on cloud nine for a week, but all of that was temporary euphoria and it all would have eventually led back to the same spot And if not for that pick six, we could be trapped in the same will of mediocrity for yet another season or beyond because of what it would have meant for our rebuild purposes next year. We might not have been able to unload all that dead weight and pick up draft picks and cap space in the process. We might not be sitting here willingly accepting a rebuild this year in exchange for what promises to be a fruitful future. Steven Ross himself even said at the January press conference, the Black Monday press conference, that the approach was always in the past to identify perceived holes in the roster, plug those holes, and go back in with a winning approach to the season. But that was always propped up on fool's gold. You don't use free agency to build the core elements of your football team, and you sure as hell don't use the draft to plug holes on your roster. That's entirely backwards from a philosophical standpoint. And now, because of the horrendous collapse at the end of the 2018 season, capped off by that Tannehill pick six, 
We don't have to endure that anymore. We might, we might have won a couple more games in 2019, but we'd be right back here in the same miserable position going into 2020 if we had taken that approach. And with that, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast and flame the Jets and also get to your Twitter questions on the Twitter mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, on Twitter at Wingful NFL and the show at Locked On Fins. Forgive me for the awful song choice, but I typed in on my Apple Music, He's Your Problem Now, and I found this song titled He's Your Problem Now, and I thought it was fitting because very rarely do we lead off a segment with a team not named the Miami Dolphins, but on a slow day where we don't have practice to cover, I think it's the best idea that we take a collective dump on the team that we all hate the most, at least I think we all hate the most, the Patriots are kind of just what they are, but for me, it's always been the Jets that have been the biggest despised rival I have of this football team. So the news of the day is that Adam Gaze is being promoted to the interim general manager position in New York after the Jets axed current general manager, or I guess now previous general manager, Mike McCagnin, and Gaze is now the only person in the NFL that has that distinction, head coach and general manager. And the infighting that has been reported is essentially confirmed. And how could it not be? We've known about this for a while, from Jay Ajayi to Jarvis Landry. And we tried to gloss over it and make it seem not so bad because that's what fans do. But it always was. And we now have the benefit of hindsight to help us out with that. And it concluded last year with veterans saying they didn't want to come back if Adam Gase was still here. And now we have this. So he brought the exact same mentality to the New York Jets. He's rubbing people the wrong way and he's already created and won a power struggle with the man that hired him for the job and now gets axed. So the Jets in January could have wiped McCagnin off the payroll and started fresh with an aligned head coach and general manager. Instead, they pull the dreaded half measure only to pull the plug five months later after the fact. After McCagnin blew all that cash on some linebackers and a running back, and don't get me wrong, C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell are good players, but that's not where you want to pump the resources into your football team and another slot receiver after just extending their incumbent slot receiver in Quincy Inunua. But Gaze wasn't done there, and not to say that was his work in free agency, but he had to bring all of his old buddies with him. Where have we heard that before? That included his right-hand man, the director of who the hell knows what on offense, Dow Loggins. He picked up my boy Luke Falk, go Cougs, immediately after the Dolphins axed Falk, who clearly is not fit to play quarterback in this league at this level. It's just hilarious to see them travel the same path that we all saw the Dolphins take under Gaze's direction. It's hilarious that he's technically the top talent evaluator in that organization now, yet we saw him play Danny Amendola ahead of Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. Wilson and Grant had like 10 and 7 snaps in that Oakland Raiders game, and they basically won the game on those 17 snaps. We saw him keep Mike Gesicki as an inline blocker for 20% of his total snaps. We saw him have no control over a defense, including the situation in week nine when Rashad Jones took took himself off the field and Gage never found out about it until after the game was over and he then decided he needed to make a more concerted effort to be involved on defense because he wasn't at all and Rashad 
Rashad Jones, his one of his captains and longtime standing members of that defense. He had no idea what was going on there. He allowed the defense to play Vincent Taylor behind guys like Akeem Spence regularly. He allowed Andre Branch to get more snaps over more deserving guys. He allowed Kiko Alonso to be the primary linebacker on a team that had Raquan McMillan and Jerome Baker, both better players, last season by a long shot. So what is he doing in terms of evaluating talent for the Jets? I don't know. And I'm sure they'll hire a new GM in short order. And on that list of candidates is Daniel Jeremiah. And you all know how I feel about Daniel Jeremiah. It's going to suck not having moved the sticks anymore if he takes that job. But for the time being, we get to bask in this confirmed notion that the Jets are an abject dumpster fire. Okay, let's get back into the Miami Dolphins talk here. And I put the call out on Twitter early on Wednesday afternoon asking for your questions via the Twitter mailbag. On tomorrow's show, we're going to have practice recaps and all that fun stuff. And I wanted to get more mailbag questions available because you guys put out questions in the 20 to 30 range every single week, and I can't get to them all. Let's go ahead and start the mailbag on today's show. And we start with JT Evans. He is at JT underscore Evans 97 on Twitter. If you're Flores, do you have an actual quarterback competition or is it Rosen season week one regardless of preseason performance? I'm going to put some value in the offseason program and the, the entirety of that evaluation because I think it's disingenuous to do otherwise. But if Rosen is anywhere close to Fitzpatrick, I'm going with Josh Rosen all the way because frankly, this entire season's about Josh Rosen and finding out what he is or what he is not. And if he proves to you in practice that he can't get close to the level of Ryan Fitzpatrick, then he's already a, he's a not. He's not the answer for you. And I have my own hangups based on the film I've watched. And I've gone over every single throw of his except for week 17 against the Seahawks, which I attend to get to later tonight. But I've seen every throw and there's a lot of improvement that has to be made. So I would understand if he doesn't win the job because he's not better. But I still wonder what the whole point of the trade was if you don't have him start all 16 games. So I would go with Rosen, but I can understand why you wouldn't. Next question came in from Corey Ashburn at Ashburn PFN. He's a good buddy of the show as well as a fellow Pacific Northwest resident. But he asked me to go on a rant about the Jets and Adam Gaze, which I already did. So we'll move on. Next question here from Curtis K at Curtis W. Kinsley. What is your goal regarding football, i.e. reporter, GM, podcaster, scout? Where do you see yourself in five years? That's a great question because I just am kind of waiting right now and building my resume both on the podcast and print side. And I don't make very many bones about it. I do believe that I'm the best in the industry at what I do. I know I'm the hardest working and I know I have the most knowledge of beat writers in terms of actual football analysis. So I'm waiting for that opportunity to present itself and football coverage in general has kind of begun this shift and I think it's going to continue that shift. And so I'm hoping that as teams begin to explore more new avenues for new digital content that I can get more into that realm, whether it's with a football team or with a publication, NFL, Dolphins, or otherwise. I want to be in this field, in this industry. I think I can make it, but it's a lot about who you know, as is the case in every industry. So right now I'm just trying to make connections, but I do see myself in football in some landscape or some capacity down the road. Next question from Mr. Stubborn at Abduarte underscore one, a fellow Twitter question asker here on the podcast. Given that Miami has New England influences with coaching and most likely schemes, which players on Miami's offense match the players in New England? For example, who will be Miami's version of Julian Edelman, James White, etc.? I love that question. And we talked about James White in the role of Kenyon Drake on the podcast earlier this week. I forget which episode it was, but 
I like this approach that players have kind of taken to going up to Brian Flores and saying, what do I need to do? What type of role do I need to prepare myself for on this football team? We heard about it with Raekwon McMillan, who was told to go watch Dante Hightower. Kenyon Drake did it, and he was told to go watch James White. So there's a couple of notches right there. One on the offensive side of the ball. As far as Julian Edelman, they don't really have that guy in this offense. I think Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson can be slot guys, but they're not those shifty win with their route running and certain nuance as a route runner. They're more speed than anything else. I don't think Julian Edelman exists. And I don't think the same elements are going to be exactly copied and pasted in that carbon copy mindset like Brian Flores talked about on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's going to be even much less so on offense because... They're going to match what they have personnel-wise, and frankly, this offense doesn't really have the offensive parts the Patriots have. In fact, I think the Dolphins' skill positions are far better than the Patriots now in this post-Gronkowski era because without Julian El- or without Rob Gronkowski, all they really have left are those running backs and Julian Edelman, and for my money, Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balazs are just as good, if not better. At tight end, we'll see what happens, but the Patriots are not stacked there either, and at receiver, the Dolphins are head and shoulders ahead of the Patriots. So I don't have a clear answer for you on that yet, but I just don't think it's going to be really that much of a carbon copy. I think Chad O'Shea will develop his own scheme and his own system and make it more about these players than it is about the scheme itself. All right, we're going to take a short break and come back on the other side and get to the rest of these questions. And if we don't get to the rest of them on this episode, we'll answer them tomorrow on the Friday podcast. Quick break, Locked On Dolphins podcast, at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins. I wasn't going to make you guys listen to that song in back-to-back segments because it was awful, but I thought it was pretty funny. Regarding Adam Gaze and him being the Jets' problem now, it's just too good to pass up on that opportunity. Let's go ahead and jump right back into this Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter for the questions. You respond and get a Twitter shout-out as well as the question answered here on the podcast. Let's come right back into this one with uh, Clinton Perrette, at Clint Perrette on Twitter. Who is your Mount Rushmore of Dolphins that you have watched as a fan? I think I'll go ahead and take Dan Marino off of that list because when I watched Dan Marino, I was like 12, 13 years old in his final season. So really, as far as knowing a lot about the game, I mean, I was a casual kid fan back then. And so for the sake of the way you worded the question, but also keeping this question fresh because everyone goes back to Shula and Marino and all that fun stuff on their Dolphins Mount Rushmore, I'll do it in the post-2000s, the post-Dan Marino era, and it's pretty freaking easy for me. Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor were basically my idols growing up as far as the defensive side of the ball and being Dolphins fans and Dolphins players, rather. And Ricky Williams is on there, too, because he's my favorite Dolphin of all time. Regardless of all the struggles, he broke my heart in 2004, but he won it back the way he came back the Wildcat year and into 2009 and 2010 as well. And then Cam Wake. How can it not be Cam Wake? My wife's maiden name is Cameron, and with his name being Cameron, we've already decided that we are going to name our first child Cam or Cameron, so he is definitely up there for me. I'm going to teach my children values based upon who Cam Wake was as a man. So Ricky Williams, Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, and Cam Wake. Next question from Octavio Mendez at Octo84. Do you think McDonald can do the switch to linebacker in package situations if he loses the weight? I know he can hit. 
but is he quick enough? It's more about coming down and covering and trying to take away angles in the passing game. And I think he's instinctive enough to do that. And somebody actually asked me on Twitter a really good point. Isn't it counterintuitive to have him lose weight and play linebacker? And my response to that is that don't think about it as a linebacker role. It's basically a quasi-safety, much in the way you have what's called a big nickel. He's going to come down and play in the box, mostly against coverage. And when you have seven or eight defensive backs on the field, but he kind of acts as a linebacker in that middle portion, squatting at the sticks or squatting it underneath coverage and just giving you a better matchup option against running backs than someone like Kiko Alonso, for instance. Next question comes from Reparic at Reparic. He just says, talk gaze. Already did that. Took care of it for you, buddy. So I hope you enjoyed that part of the podcast. Next question from Alex Vergara at Nacho the Eight. Which receiver leads this team in targets if you had to guess? That is a terrific question and one that catches me off guard. I want to say Kenny Stills because he's just so reliable and he's always going to be where you want him to be. And I'm not saying reliable in terms of catching the football because he does have some drops issues, but he's always going to be in the right spot. He has good footwork and good good tempo to his routes. But I'm going to say Albert Wilson, if he's healthy, and I'm actually pretty concerned about the hip coming back from that injury last year, but if Albert Wilson's healthy, I think he's going to be the focal point of that short passing game, as well as getting some touches as a running back too. So Albert Wilson with Kenny Stills as the runner-up. Let's do one more here. This one comes from Phil Nutt. Again, I'm going to answer the rest of these questions on tomorrow's podcast. So if you didn't hear it today, you'll hear it tomorrow. This one from Phil Nutt, at Mr. PK Nutt. If we're doing things the Patriot way, why does Tunzel get paid? My impression is the Patriots don't commit that kind of money to the offensive line. Again, that's another terrific point. The Patriots did re-sign Sebastian Vollmer once, a to- once upon a time. They had Dan Coppin there for a long time. I do believe they'll let Joe Tooney walk this offseason, the left guard. But it's a great point you make, Phil, because they don't pay those guys those big hefty contracts and really, they don't do it anywhere else on the football field, except or with the exception of Stephon Gilmore at cornerback a couple of years ago, and we saw how that worked out for them. But I just think you identify Laramie Tunzel as a core foundation piece. He's one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. Have the Patriots had that at the position? I don't think they have. Trent Brown certainly was that was not that. Marcus Cannon's not that. Nate Solder sure as hell was not that. Laramie Tunzel is. And they have, they have so much cash to spend in the next coming years that it has to go somewhere. So why not pay it to a guy that you know works in your program, that likes being here, that was a successful draft pick in your program. And so while it's a good point, I just think you can't afford to lose Laramie Tunzel because what's the alternative? Go out on the free agent market and buy someone who's not as good, who's going to cost more money or use a first round draft pick at the spot. Those are basically your options to replace Laramie Tunzel. And that's why he comes back on top of the fact that he's an elite left tackle. Okay, that's going to be my time for the podcast today, guys. Thank you for those questions. And again, we'll get to the rest of them on tomorrow's podcast. If you have a smart speaker, you can pull up the podcast in your car or otherwise. Just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast for the latest and your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com, including the Josh Rosen charting project out on Sunday. You guys have a great rest of your Thursday night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow and close up the week for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.